All right, so I just wanted to uh, to say how awesome it is that uh, Scott has such a way of words when it comes to imagery. He said a feast that we can all eat, right, the word. So I don't know if it's going to be a feast. I hope it's going to be uh, an amazing time as we encounter God's word today. Um, so I don't know if it's going to be a feast, but I promise you it's going to be delicious. All right, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, and so I, as you guys can tell, uh, we've been encountering our series titled Holy, uh, and I've been really loving this series as we are going into this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, and so this or today marks uh, us as we entered uh, are entering the sixth chapter of the book. And so so far, anyone that's reading the book, raise your hand if you're loving it. Raise your hand if you're loving it. It's been an amazing book. All right. And our times together these past Sundays have been nothing more than amazing. You know, Darren, I think the last time we we uh, preached on this on this book, uh, Darren preached this incredible lesson on chapter five, right? And so let's give Darren another round of applause if you remembered it. Man, I, it's so good. It's so, so good. Uh, studying out of the book of Job. Uh, so if you have not heard it, uh, all of our sermons, and this is kind of like a shameless plug, all of our sermons are online on YouTube. And so if you want to uh, study it out again for your quiet times, maybe you want to go over some of your notes, uh, do visit our YouTube page uh, because it's awesome. We have amazing resources. Amen. So I encourage you, uh, if you aim to follow along with this book and are, are a little bit behind, uh, we do have these sermons recorded. Uh, you have uh, every chance to still get the book if you haven't, uh, and that you can uh, still kind of catch up with us and, and, and cover these materials as we uh, still preach on it for midweeks and services pretty extensively. So the title of the chapter that uh, I'm focusing on is chapter six, which is titled Discover the Daily Rhythms of Daily Office and Sabbath. It's a little bit of a mouthful, right? Essentially, it's talking about this aspect of daily office and Sabbath. And so the title and focus of our time this afternoon is titled, that's the book, if you guys want to know what the book looks like. Um, but it's the title, The Rhythm of Rest. The Rhythm of Rest. You know, this idea of, of Sabbath, and, and it comes from the a Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop, to cease, uh, which, if you think about it, is just scheduled rest. Right. For God's people. So it's scheduled rest amidst the stress is not only true as we study it out as disciples or, or more as a church, but it's honestly really true and applicable to the culture that we live in today. Amen. You know, we live in a stressed out. We live in an anxious, depressed, heavily medicated world. But I believe that God gave us a solution. And through the life of Jesus, we can see a, a, a pattern. In the word of God. Right. And so a key takeaway from this chapter for me is how the culture of Jesus, the way he does things, uh, honors and values time spent with our creator. And the time spent is necessary not only for our salvation, but it helps us experience moments where our soul can be refreshed through rest. Right. But when we endure our day to day, it's inevitable that we feel overwhelmed. We feel stressed out all the time, whether it's the actual stack of responsibilities. And when I just even said that, you guys probably kind of like quivered or something like it was a trigger word, right? Responsibilities is a trigger word. Checklists. Ooh, no one. Does anyone like the word checklist? Lacey, raise your hand. The one, the one of many. Uh, or, or maybe even our perspective with how minimal time we have, Right. 
our response is stress, this feeling of restlessness. And I'll give you an example. You know, last night we came home from a phenomenal party at the Yesters. Uh, it was a blow away time. As, uh, that was my go-to word as I was impersonating Scott. That, that was my costume. Blow away. This time's blow away. Dancing, amazing food, fellowship, um, the ambiance. Uh, Alicia and I had such a great time. Uh, and before that, though, we drove uh, from Temecula. So on the way to the yesters, we came from Temecula where um, from late morning to before the party, before the yesters party, we celebrated one of my best friends who's going to the academy for CHP. He's going to be away for six months. So he's going to be away from his wife, from his one-year-old son, uh, and he's going to be uh, going into uh, the police academy. Um, so that was also really fun. Uh, but on our drive home, which was around 10.30 p.m., uh, Alicia says this to me. She goes, don't you feel like two whole days just went by? Right? Have you guys ever, like, asked yourself that? Have you ever felt that? Right. That you did so much that you felt absolutely exhausted, like you did multiple days worth of work. And it just so happened to be 13 hours just passed by. Right. You know, sometimes life gets too busy that we respond out of exhaustion. We can have some pretty crazy responses. And Darren showed a bunch of different idioms or responses uh, that we can have that are a little bit of an exaggeration. I thought that was brilliant. And so I I kind of researched some. Now, maybe we can apply to, right? I feel burnt out, right? Raise your hand if you ever said that to yourself. I feel burnt out, right? Uh, I feel like I'm dead, right? doesn't make any sense if you're saying that, right? I feel like I'm dead. Now, this is, I, I say this all the time. I feel like I got hit by a truck, right? There's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, when we get to these responses, we, we probably... Don't really look forward to the day ahead of us, right, when we feel this. And this is true, and, and this kind of reminds me of, uh, of this saying, and this is, gives ground and foundation to what we're going to be talking about, but our response gives motivation to our responsibility. Our response gives motivation to our responsibility, which means that God promises us a life of purpose, right? He promises us purpose, And our purpose helps sheds light to our responsibilities, right? But with the wrong mindset, with the wrong perspective, with the wrong heart, which then could lead to a wrong response, it changes the way we view our responsibilities that God gives us, right? And he uses these responsibilities to help even shape our purpose. So even if we're connected with God's purpose for us, even if we feel like me and God are on the same page, we can still have a habit to see the bad. The drama. We get overwhelmed by the evil surrounding us. That we just forget that amidst the ugliness of life that God still wants to experience or help us experience the pureness of being in the presence of God. And there are so many things in life that we are missing out on. Of God, of what God wants us to focus on because we're overwhelmed. We're exhausted. We're restless. But the truth is that this is not how God intended us to live. In Psalm 62, David uh, writes this. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. I still got more time. I don't know whose alarm that was. Uh, It's okay. 
Sorry, I just have to say it. But uh, yeah, I, I love this scripture because what it, what it says and what kind of David leans in is that God wants us to have boundaries. God wants us to have a pace, a rhythm. God wants us to have rest in order to maximize the way that he can use each and every one of us. And the truth is we don't want to look at our lives and get caught up in the busyness, right? That's the truth. We don't want to look at that. We don't want to complain. We don't want to argue with God. We don't want to be overwhelmed by life while we're here in the presence of God. So then what's the problem? What's the problem? You know, one of the problems is that we're overworked. Raise your hand if you feel overworked. Man, that's, that's way more hands than I thought, right? But it's true. We, we feel overworked, even as a society, even as a church. It's ironic that our nation's early settlers were Puritans. And if you know anything about the Puritans, all they wanted to do was they wanted to set up a society here in America where they implemented the Sabbath, which was the day of rest. And so it was mandated. They wanted to make the, the day of Sabbath a law, a binding law. And so that's how they started. That's how America started, right? But now where we're at is far different. Because how we are today is that we work more hours in average than any nation in the world. We work 137 more hours than Japan. We work 260 more hours on average than Great Britain. We work 499 more hours on average than France. You guys are probably booking a ticket to France, huh? Probably. There is a workaholism that is going unnoticed, not only in the world, but even in our community here in the church. We worship our work in the ways that we oftentimes find our identity in our work. And it's the overworked nation that drives this culture of restlessness. We're tired. We are tired. We're sleepy people. Right? If you think about it, right, before the light bulb was even created, Thomas Edison, right, people got an average of 10 hours of sleep. Can you imagine that? 10 hours. You're probably thinking, man, I wish I got 10 hours, right? Because you think about it, right? When the sun went down, what, well, you're done, right? It's like, what do you want to do? I don't know, right? Because there's no light, right? So it kind of puts things into perspective. Like, that's so crazy that even the most simplest of times, they just saw this rest as it's just part of our day. And this also leads us to being distracted. How many minutes do you think there is in a day? Who knows the number? How many minutes? 1,440. There's 1,440 minutes in a day. Do you know how much we touch the screens of our phones? 2,617 times we touch our phones in a day. So this means that we are touching our phones more than there are minutes in a day. Four hours is the national average of how much we consume our phones. And then another four hours is the average of the normal person consuming television or or watching something from a screen. So you add that together, we are, consume, we are consumed, we are distracted more than even people in America work in a day. Can you imagine that? We are distracted between the phones and the TV 
And our nation craves eight hours of sleep, but we sacrifice eight hours of our lives being distracted. And distracted leads us to being anxious, leads us to feeling anxiety. 62% of people say they are more anxious than they were last year. And think about that ratio, right? 62% before that, before 2020 or before 2019, right? The, the national average was 32% raise, ranging in the span of three years. So meaning that people feeling anxious in America kind of just doubled in one year. That's pretty crazy. 66% of people say they sleep with their phone by their side. And that's, that's me. I kind of do that. All right. I'm, I'm telling the truth. And I'll even confess to this because I'm part of this number. Eighty percent of people are said that they check their phones the minute they wake up. And so what this shows is that we give our energy to these other things that God didn't mean for in our lives. But when we think we are escaping, when we feel like, man, I'm just going to tune into the game, maybe veg out a little bit. What's actually happening is rather than escaping, we end up feeling absolutely depleted. And then we complain to ourselves and we say we need rest, we need sleep. But it goes to show that our culture is out of sync, that we are out of rhythm. But here's the bottom line, that God created rest for us to enjoy. This creation enables his greatest creation to carve meaningful time to connect with him. And so if there's anything that I want you guys to take away from our time today is this, that God created rest for us to enjoy. Amen. 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 So what we're going to do is we're going to study out together the importance of what is of what this rest is and why God calls us to enjoy, which is the Sabbath. And so the first point and just two points is that Sabbath is a creation. Sabbath is a creation in Mark 227, it says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Ain't that the truth? Right? That the Sabbath was not made to appease man, to make men's life easier, to make women's life easier, but it's not even man for the Sabbath, right? So even back then, the purpose of rest was being misunderstood because Jesus wouldn't have said this. This was during an argument. And so there was still a lot of, you know, conflict about this idea of the Sabbath. But really what it's all about is is all about connecting to God's purpose and his creation or him creating in us. And so what better way to uh, look and leverage all the different resources of the Sabbath? So I have a video for you guys to help explain from the Bible Project. I love them. I think they're great. And so here's a, a video on the Sabbath. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. 
It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans, who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power, and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness, where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost. Life is a struggle. They're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest, called the year of jubilee if anyone had lost their land or gone into debt all was forgiven everything restored wow so the sabbath these feasts the year of jubilee it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest right now when the israelites went into the land they forgot their god and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the promised land they're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate jubilee of freedom and rest would come, but generations go by and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah, saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh-day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, and he confronted disorder and darkness in all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath, and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now, by following him, or in his words, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Was that video? Right. You know, I, I love how there's all these resources out there to help kind of give us and paint us a picture of, uh, of things that we want to understand in the Bible. Right. But I love how even in this video, it talks about uh, how this idea of rest or, or Sabbath, we trace it back to the book of Genesis. Right. So this idea of completion, they use the word fullness. God intended Sabbath to symbolize something key in the way that even God created us, created you and I. You know, God intended for us to function by the cadence of creation, by the cadence of creation. So that even in the video, we are reminded that even before time, that there was darkness and God ushered in light and that God went on this creating spree for six whole days. And in Genesis 2, verse 2 to 3, we follow that uh, creation spree by God. And he says this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Everybody say holy. Holy, holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. So think about it, right? God works for six days. He stops, he rests, he pauses. And God didn't rest because he was tired. Can you imagine that? God being tired? God is not a tired God. He doesn't think about all the different prayer requests and sees all his like email lists stack up and be like, oh man, how come am I going to get through all these prayer requests, right? That's not God, right? God has never, ever been tired. But God rested because he was finished. He completed what he was doing. And how do we know? Because all throughout Genesis 1, you can see this cadence of creation. That every time he would stop, he would say, it is good. So God, create, God spent one day creating something, created, I don't know, the creatures. And after that, after the day was done, he said, it is good. Can you imagine that? I kind of like that. God creating something and saying, I did a good job. Right. Right. Kind of has, God has swagger. Right. So God would say it is good because it is finished. And so when we work, when we finish. What we are doing is sometimes we struggle with this perfectionist culture that every time we look at our work, we don't just leave it, but maybe we set it aside. We go home and we just think about it. Right. We think about maybe ways that we could have done it better done it faster. Maybe we think of ways we could have done it differently. And what it causes us to do is when we kind of just marinate on it, it leaves us feeling incomplete. And so I love how this is not the case for God, because in all honesty, God could have kept working. If you think about it, right? God could have not spent the seventh day resting and probably created something really cool that we don't have. I don't know, maybe Dragons, probably, I don't know, right, or something. I, I think having dragons would have been pretty crazy, though. Um, but God could have done more. He could have kept creating, but he stopped and said, it is good. Do you see the pattern, right, that God works, then he rests. So don't you think if we work, 
we should rest? When we apply ourselves into the work that we do, Genesis shows us a God that teaches us to be okay to stop. God teaches us to know that when uh, we work on things that we can drop what we do because it can wait for tomorrow. But part of the rhythm is being content and being finished. But what's so cool is that on the sixth day, uh, before he even took this rest, he created what? You, man and woman, you and I, right? But rather than saying it like like the five other days that he created stuff, rather than he said it is good, what did he say? He said it is very good. It is very good. So to God, we are very good. So maybe we need to live our lives if we are very good, maybe not criticizing the work that God has done. Meaning that we cannot be too hard on ourselves. Sometimes we're Pharisees to ourselves. We criticize ourselves. But our default, that God created us, is very good according to Him. So it's not our work schedule. It's not the income that we make. It's not the life that we build for us and our families or here on earth, but that our mere existence to God is very good. Right. And we were created in his image and that is already enough. And in the book, there's this great quote by the author. And he says, when we practice the Sabbath, we touch something deep within us as image bearers of God. Our human brain, our bodies, our spirits and our emotions become wired by God for the rhythm of work and rest in him. Amen. So Sabbath teaches us that the rhythm of the way that God works is that he gifts us this day of rest. And it's for us to have a day where we can appreciate all that has already been done. But this rhythm of rest is much slower than what our world teaches us. But notice in this scripture uh, before that, uh, in Genesis 2, it says that the Sabbath is holy. God made that day holy. And if you think about it, this is the very first time the word holy has ever entered the Bible at this point. And so in the Bible, it, it uses the word holy to first describe the day of Sabbath. And it makes sense why in Exodus, Moses, who then receives the Ten Commandments, saw that the Sabbath was the longest commandment out of all ten. Right. Because God benefited from that day of rest. So if God valued it to create you and I and the world around us, we also need to be people that value the day of Sabbath as well. In Hebrews 4.11, it says there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God for anyone who enters God's rest also rest from their works, just as God did from his Right. So when we encounter the day of Sabbath, not only are we doing what we're supposed to do, but we're doing it with God. We're resting with God. Who looks forward to the weekend? Who looks forward to the weekend? I need you all to raise your hand. I know you look forward to your Fridays, to your Saturdays. But church, we serve a God that created the weekend. Right. We serve a God that created the weekend. Sabbath was Created, But through the way Jesus models the importance of the Sabbath is when we incorporate the idea of Shabbat in our lives. And it varies from person to person. And I love this idea of Sabbath as, as Jesus ushers that, that in is that then we see that we have the ability to explore. 
what, what the Sabbath can look like, how, how the Sabbath can benefit our lives. And this leads us to our next and final point, which Sabbath is a choice. Sabbath is a choice. And when I say choice, I don't mean that you don't have to do it. I don't mean that, Roy, okay, if you say it's a choice, then I don't choose the Sabbath. I'm just going to work all seven days, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. But rather, God gives us this day, but technically what happens is we choose what to do with it. We get to explore what we get to do with this day. And so we oftentimes see the Sabbath and kind of resort to this legalistic view that the Sabbath must be the same for each and every one of us, that it has to be this day where everyone needs to stop working. And that was kind of the conflict even in the New Testament as Jesus was going head to head with these Pharisees. It was very legalistic. But Jesus throughout even the New Testament Uh, When he was talking to the Pharisees, Jesus was a man who observed the Sabbath, but he continued to heal the sick and serve the poor. So Jesus helps teach us that the Sabbath is needed to help us stop from the six days of working and do what we must do to be realigned with the Spirit of God. Because if you think about it, I wonder why Jesus continued to heal and rescue people even on the Sabbath. Because God was in the presence of the people. So when Jesus is present, those in his presence needed to connect at that point in time. And so I love that he didn't rob uh, that opportunity for people when they were in the presence of God himself. You know, and I was raised in this church and I was taught to have my quiet time every day, every morning. But how easy it is for me to gain connection for that one hour and immediately forget throughout the day. Am I the only one here? Am I the only one that can have their quiet time, this awesome time, and then two o'clock lunchtime hits, I'm, I completely forgot what I read. Am I just the only one? No. You know, when we practice Sabbath, it will be probably the hardest thing as Christians we will ever do. You know, our perception of the time that we're given created this wall between us and God, but God gave us our lives. God gifted uh, us this time. Uh, And it's a blessing when we live another day here on earth, but how we utilize our time dictates the type of life that we live, right? The way that we delegate or designate our time to different things dictates the type of life that we live. In Matthew 6, 21, he says, Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in this case, what you put your time into, your heart will follow, And so I have this illustration. You're probably wondering what this table was all about, right? So I'm going to have my notes here. So if you think about this, right, we have a schedule. Each block that I have, I have Jenga blocks. I only have 21, I believe. But each block signals or symbolizes eight hours. How many hours is one block? Eight Eight hours, right? And so when you think about it, right, I have 21 blocks, which means... Uh, that there are 168 hours in a week. There's 168 hours in a week. Who didn't know that? Who didn't know that there was 168 hours? Amen. There you go. We learn something new every day, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to categorize our week by two ways. And there's and the first way is the first is things that we can't control. That's the first category, right? There are things in life that we cannot control. And so the first thing is sleep. Is sleep. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out seven blocks for sleep. And so how many people get eight hours a day on sleep? 
Raise your hand if you get eight, at least eight hours. At least eight hours. Does anyone sleep more? No? Okay, there you go. I'm just going to write sleep. If you're a teenager, amen. Thank you, James. All right. If you're a teenager, right, you should probably sleep more than eight hours, but chances are we're not. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to at least put eight hours or or 56 hours. So I, I put seven blocks and I put sleep here, 56 hours. I don't know how I'm going to put it up. Sleep, 56 hours. So if you don't think that eight hours is possible in a week where you can get it in a day, I, amen. We're getting eight hours of sleep in this in this scenario, right? Let's go. Right. But if you're like me, your nights can be consumed with a bunch of different distractions. Right. Maybe let me squeeze in just an extra hour of work um, so that I can maybe get a head start in the day. Maybe I can squeeze in just an episode of the Great British Breaking Show on Netflix. Maybe if I can, uh, I'll probably sacrifice an hour of sleep so I can watch another episode of Squid Game. Right. And so that's that's me. But if we want to have a great day, we need to sleep. We need to maximize rest because who created rest? God created rest. All right. So that's the first category. The second category is or the second thing that we can't control. And if you are a a great disciple and a responsible one in God's kingdom, you're going to need to work. You're going to need a job. And that's kind of mean to say, because I know there's a lot of different setbacks that people can have when it comes to work. But right. It's in the Bible. If you don't work, you don't what you don't eat. And so God knows that we need to work and so that we know the importance of work, uh, because our society even today kind of glorifies or over glorifies this idea of hard work. But on average, people work about 40 hours, which is a nine to five job. But I put here 56 hours. Because if you think about the time to get ready, you think about all the different places you have to go or the ways that you have to prep. I'm just going to put 56 hours. Right. So we got 56 hours of work in a day. But when we aren't working, you know, we're either or we aren't sleeping. Right. What leaves us then is another 56 hours in our week. And I have this extra block. Amen. God, God multiplies, right? I don't know what that's for. Maybe, maybe God gives us another eight hours, but that's impossible. All right. But we see here we have sleep, we have work, but then we have this other 56 hours where you get to choose how you invest these 56 hours. And you have this freedom that you get to have. And so this could be a new business. This could be maybe a new venture you're thinking about. Maybe that you can use this time for your kids, for your family, maybe going to church, going to midweek, right? Maybe going, getting into some discipling times, right? But what happens is that we oftentimes look at our day-to-day schedule and feel bloated by how much things we have to do. And maybe even think about and convince ourselves that there's way too little time in the week for us to do everything that we have to do. But in actuality, you have an enormous amount of time to choose what you are willing to do. Catch that. What you are willing to do. 
So if God gives us this time and we know that when where we spend our time, our heart will also follow. We need to design this time for our passions. This time needs to be for your passion, because if God put a dream in your heart, maximize this time to walk with God to make it come true. Maybe God exposed something in your character that you need to work on. You have time in the week to work with God and maybe even time to study it out. But, but catch this. If we budget our time well, the hours we can choose also then frees us to also choose to rest. Does that make sense? Do you see this image? Because sometimes I always convince myself, man, there is no time at all in this world that I can rest there. You tell me to sleep. I say when. Right. But you see here that there's actually a lot of time in our week that we can choose to rest. So do you forget your quiet time by lunchtime? Me. Spend some time to pray and read more. Do you feel disconnected spiritually? Unplug from what's draining you and plug into the vine that bears much fruit. Spend this time to Shabbat and bask in the presence of God. But bear in mind that even if we invest our day to rest, we can also fall into the secular way of thinking or of resting. And a lot of people want a day off even in this world. They don't have to go to church to want a day off. Right. And it isn't bad to have a day off. But if God created the Sabbath to power back from the six days he was using to create all these amazing things, our spiritual life, our our souls also needs time to recharge, to rest. And so there's these practicals from the book that can help us choose how to Sabbath effectively and explore different ways that can work personally for us. And again, Sabbath is different. And so I don't know if you guys can read that, but I'll read it to you guys. But it says, uh, that the first practical for the Sabbath is to stop, right? Because if Shabbat means to stop and to cease, we sh- should stop, right? So we got to embrace our limits. We got to know that God is God, right? And Psalm 46:10 it says, "Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth." Right? This is a reminder to know that. When we remind ourselves that God is God, that the Bible tells us to what? Work? No, to be still. Right? And in Matthew 6, 25, 33, we all know that. It says, do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so that's the first practical. The second practical is to rest. And for me, it's purposely filling my day with things that get my mind off of work. So that could be napping. That could be working out or spending quality time with my wife, right? Quality time. Don't think about other things. All right. So the third thing is delight. So stop, rest, delight. If God delighted in all that he's done, shouldn't we also delight, right? To delight is to find joy in your day of rest. And in the EHS book, The book that we're reading, it calls us to this idea of healthy play, healthy play, which means to explore the things that bring you meaningful joy and fill your days with it. And so raise your hand if you like hikes, hikes, raise your hand, keep your hands up if you like walks. I'm sure you like walks if you like hikes. I don't know why I wrote that. (laughs) Who loves a nice vacation? Oh, 
Yes. I love a vacation, right? So hikes, walks, vacations, things that can help you maybe even bask in God's creation, a view, a really nice view, spending time with loved ones, visiting loved ones, explore, explore the things that bring you joy. And the fourth and final thing is to contemplate. And all four of this is found in the book in pages 154 to 159. It says that really the Jews spent the Sabbath to ponder the ways of God's love. And so we learned that the Sabbath signifies fullness, that it marks this completion. So we contemplate the ways we need to be moved by the presence of God in our lives. Spend time with God. Be moved by God. Pray. Read scriptures that move your heart to be closer to God. Because when we learn to have gratitude for this gift that God gives us, how differently would our lives be? How different would it look? And I want to close out with this passage in Mark six thirty to 31. And it says here, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even had a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And I love this interaction with Jesus and his apostles because, you know, his disciples worked so hard. They were hardworking people. And, and I don't know about you, but like, like me, when I work hard, I want to be rewarded. I want to get a little pat on the back. I want to say, I want to hear a good job, Roy. You worked hard, right? And so these apostles came up to Jesus because they worked so hard. And so like a kid to their parent, they were waiting for approval. But catch what Jesus did. And, and Jesus knew exactly what they needed. And that's what he gave them is that he called them to isolate with him. Away from the noise of the world to get some rest. And that's our Messiah. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we reflect on communion, let us see that this time uh, when, we, when we take in the bread, when we take in the juice, is a moment where we can escape. Be at the foot of the cross. Be at the feet of Jesus who endured the work of dying on the cross, fulfilling the gospel. But even at the cross, when it was all done, he muttered the words, It is finished. So like our God who created us in the world, like Jesus who endured the cross to free you and me, let us value the Sabbath and figure out this rhythm of rest that God wants to give in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much, Dad, just for this time to Shabbat, (laughs) to stop what we're doing, to drown out all the different thoughts in our heads, the responsibilities that life throws at us, God, and you are calling us to be in your presence right now. God, communion helps us to remember the sacrifice, the feeling of liberation, uh, our salvation, God. When we said, Jesus, Lord, God, it is because of how your son endured the cross. God, the ways that he died, the ways that he suffered, For our sins, God, was hard work. God, I love how Jesus knew the schedule, knew this rhythm of rest, this cadence of creation, and knew that it was done, that it is finished, and that his life then ushered in this brand new way of thinking what it means to rest, and it's to rest in your son. God, I pray that we can just cast all our anxieties to you,
God, that we can fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, that is Jesus. And thank you for this rest, this Sabbath. Help us to be people of rest. We love you. Pray for everything in my son's name. Amen.